It's week 22 of 2018, and here in the Technado, we're coming down from the high from our 50th show, our semi-centennial episode last week, but we have a ton of news to get to. Uh, most importantly, we're going to do our predictions for Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference coming up next week. We've got a lot of other stories to get to as well, and that's all coming up on the Technado, starting right now. Hello and welcome to the Technado. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, and I am joined by Don Bazette. Don, how are you? I am doing swell, ready to dive right back into the podcast for this week. Uh, you know, last week we had a bit of a bit of a slow news week, didn't have a ton of things to talk about. This week we have tons of rumors, allegations, conjecture, and other totally baseless facts to report on. Uh, we had a, a number of articles to pick from, so it's actually kind of a, a good tech week. Uh, I'm, I'm ready to dive in. How about you, Peter? I'm good. Uh, I'm uh, I'm finally getting over the the hangover from all of the semi-centennial uh, podcast parties we had 50th episode um, last time. It was it's, a madhouse. It's been a, a whirlwind week, <laughs> but but like you said, we've got a lot to get to. So let's go ahead and jump right to it and, and to one of my um, favorite from a graphic graphic design perspective uh, websites here, LWN.net. Just lovely what they've done um, with the 1998 throwback. Um, <laughs> Parrot 4.0 is out and. Uh, I know, Don, this is something that, that you've been waiting for. You know, uh, I, I'm not the biggest fan of, of the Parrot Linux distribution. I know um, Daniel Lowry, uh, one of the security edutainers over at IT Pro TV, he, he likes Parrot as a pen testing distribution. So many of you out there, if you are doing pen testing or even just vulnerability scanning on your own network, security distributions like Kali Linux and Parrot Linux really come in handy for doing that. Uh, version 4 is out. It's a major version, right? So a big upgrade for them. And... The reason I wanted to highlight it here, because usually usually when Parrot updates, it's just you know some tools get updated to the newest version and that's it. With Parrot 4.0, they're starting to make a bit of a transition from being just a pen testing distro to becoming kind of a daily driver type distribution. And with Kali Linux, that's like rule number one. You do not run Kali as your daily driver. That's not your normal desktop OS because there's all sorts of weird stuff in it. With Parrot... They're trying to to kind of uh, uh, straddle the fence, you know, be on both sides where it's a pen testing distro, but it's also a regular use case like administrator station type distro. Uh, and in the newest version, let me just jump over to Parrot's website, uh, they highlight a number of, of things that they're adding to it. But the main kind of takeaways for what's new in Parrot 4, uh, they've got net install images so that you can do network deployments of Parrot, uh, which you wouldn't need to do on a pen testing distro normally. But if you're using this as a regular distribution, you can manage labs and, and bulk distributions. Uh, they've got Docker images for running it, uh, which is kind of nice for some people. Uh, they've also introduced uh, just updates to the regular UI. The, they run the Mate desktop, uh, which has been updated. But uh, the rest of it is all kind of user space tools. See how it's got Firefox 60 and LibreOffice, the, the leading pen testing uh, office suite. So that, that kind of shows where they're, they're changing that direction. We'll have to see where it goes long-term, but uh, short-term, it looks like the team over at Parrot's really trying to make it more of an all-around distro, and that that could work out really well. It could be a, a super success. Now you've got a great, stable distro that has a ton of really good networking tools in it, or it could end up watering down one or the other. Like Usually the distros like Ubuntu that focus on being a really great desktop OS do a great job at it, and then distros like Kali that focus on being a pen testing OS, they do a really good job at it. But when you have an OS that tries to do both at the same time, 
they usually end up being mediocre at both. And we'll have to see if that ends up with Parrot. Uh, in the past, they have been rock solid. All of their their distro releases have been really good. So uh, hopefully, hopefully we'll see that as uh, Parrot creeps along. But that 4.0 release is out right now already, so you can jump out, download it, test it out. Uh, if you've never heard of Parrot, it's it it is actually a really good distro, uh, and it does have a lot of pen testing and security tools just built in by default. Is it kind of an either or thing with with Parrot or Kali Linux, or do you, um, is it one of the? I know with, with, when you're doing pen testing, you want to use a lot of different things. Would you kind of do some things in in Parrot, do some things in Kali Linux, and or, you know, or do they have redundancy? It, it usually is kind of an either or because they they have kind of the same tools in each. Um, as far as the, as far as like the the main tools, uh, Metasploit and Nmap and things like that, those are those are standard tools. They're in Kali, they're in Parrot. Doesn't really matter which one you use. Uh, Parrot does have more tools than Kali in it, so they, they actually have a ton of stuff in there. But a lot of those extra tools are, are fringe case type tools or edge case. We're just not everybody needs them anyway. So for most people, like, like for me, it, it really wouldn't matter to me if you gave me Parrot or if you gave me Kali because the, the tools I'm going to use, like Wireshark and Nmap, they're, they're going to be there on both of them. Honestly, I could install those on any distro, so I don't even necessarily need a pen testing distro. But if you are a actual field pen tester, you need a lot of those extra tools that are there. And Kali's got the bulk of, of what most people need, uh, but Parrot has a little bit extra. So usually people just kind of pick one or the other. Gotcha. Well, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, well, our next article we want to get to is on uh, Pharonics. And, you know, my, my uh, uh, you know, naivete kind of shows up when I have to say things that are like acronyms or, or company names that I don't know. And you pronounce um, them wrong, and I yeah. get to make fun of you. So this will be, this will be one of those examples. Um, System D? System D, very good. Oh, thank you. Look System D, which we're all familiar with. If you would have just said it with confidence, nobody uh, would have known. Yeah, but that, if I had said it with confidence <laughs> and I was wrong, it would have been much, much yeah. worse for me. Uh, System D introduces portable services functionality, which is similar to containers. So, um, Don, I am familiar with System D. Uh, or as I was going to call it, System MD. I wasn't sure if it was a, a doctor-based thing. Uh, but for those that aren't, uh, let, let's talk about that. You know, in hindsight, I should have lied and said, uh, you know, it's actually pronounced Systemd. <laughs> and and then through the whole episode, I could have had you said Systemd, and it yeah. would have been this funny thing. Um, Hilarious. But, yeah, yeah, well... Even if you are a uh, a regular Linux user, I wouldn't I wouldn't begrudge you for not knowing System D. Uh, System D is is basically a, a service that runs at the heart of most Linux distros, and it's responsible for all of the boot process that happens. Uh, you know, in, in the past we had these init D scripts that always ran and did things. System D replaces all that. Um, People either love or hate System D. There's no middle ground. People just can't seem to be ambivalent. Uh, I personally like it. A lot of people think it's it's the devil and, and refuse to use it. Uh, but System D is continually offering new functionality and features inside of the Linux distro or Linux operating system in general. Um, with the newer functionality they've been rolling out has been a little bit controversial. And when I saw this headline, it actually made me laugh a little bit, um, which I, I know it did not make you laugh. Uh, but uh, what they're doing is they're introducing what are called portable services. And they equate it to containers, but it's really not even a container. It, it's really uh, what's called a bundled application. And we've seen these over the years in the form of, um, in the form of like flat packs, in the form of uh, uh, like OVAs, packaged virtual machines, or even just the bundled applications that macOS uses, where Instead of an application being made up of thousands of files, they stick them all together into one big bundle, and that one bundle contains 
the binaries for the program, every library it depends on, and all the other features all kind of wrapped up into one nice little package. So when you install an application, it's just a matter of having this one file that you copy in place. Well, that's how containers work for the most part. You have a container image, and it contains all the files for it. That's how the application bundles work in macOS. That's how Flatpak works. The idea of this one file. So now System D is introducing support for that. Now, the nice part about that is every Linux distro that supports System D, when they update to the newest version, they'll now have support for this this uh, well portable service. So if I want to install Apache or Nginx, Light TPD, if I want to install a, a TFTP server. I can go and find a portable service package for it and throw it on any distro I have that supports systemd and supports portable services, and it'll be able to launch and run. And I won't have to worry about dependencies and libraries. And that's really important for distros like, um, like well, Red Hat Enterprise Linux, where with RHEL, the libraries are normally a few years old because they're looking for stability, right? They don't want cutting edge. And that makes it difficult to run some applications. So with technology like this, now you can run those applications that need newer, newer libraries, and they're just kind of packaged with it. Now, it is a bit of a double-edged sword. On a positive side, you know the application will run because it's got every library it needs built right into it. On a negative side, if the application developer is not keeping their app up to date, it might have outdated libraries that are packaged in with it. So now you're running an application. The application works fine, but your system is now less secure, and you can't fix it because those libraries are a part of the package. And that's a big challenge that SystemD is fixing by isolating these applications. They're basically sandboxed. So when the service runs, if it's got an older library, that service might be able to get compromised, but you can't leapfrog from that service to some other service. So you are given certain protection, uh, just just like you would with containers. But it's all built into systemd, which is one of the first processes that runs on a systemd-enabled system, which means it's going to run it at some of the best performance levels and hopefully make our life a lot easier when it comes to managing services on a Linux server and, and ultimately on a desktop as well. I wanted to know, Don, I, I was paying attention to all of that, um, but I did take a moment to search what I'm sure everyone was wondering, and systemd is in no way related to system of a down, uh, the band. Uh, so... Um, now, uh, you know, that's clear for Inquiring minds was, want to know. Yeah, I was wondering what I, uh, <laughs> what I was also wondering, uh, and that's not where the name came from. So they don't run System D on their yeah, band. Yeah. It's a, it just stands for servers. System Demon. It's not, uh, ah, not even exciting. That'd be a pretty cool band name as well. System Demon? Yeah, yeah. it's probably taken. Better, <laughs> better than System of a Down. Um, all right, uh, next up here, sticking in the open source world, uh, this over on the Red Hat website. Uh, on their developer blog, um, you can watch over 100 Red Hat Summit uh, 2018 sessions, uh, their videos online. So uh, I'm not sure if that's something they normally do, but they're they're letting you go in and, and watch uh, pretty much everything, it sounds like, from from their conference. Well, you know, there's a lot of people out there like me that I, I would have loved to have gone to Red Hat Summit this year. It just didn't work out because we have a different conference schedule. Uh, so I didn't get a chance to go. That doesn't mean I'm out of luck, though. I can go and I can watch the sessions. And I, I did expect them to post the videos. Last year, they did it for, for the uh, Red Hat Summit 2017. But one of the big things that's different, and this is what was highlighted in the blog post, is that last year, they posted 54 sessions. This year, 100 breakout sessions. Uh, so a lot more content this year than last year. So they're adding more and more to it. 
But if you're like me and you didn't make it out there and you want to learn more about what's going on in the Red Hat space, you can jump right over to their site, uh, which actually it's all inside of a YouTube playlist. So I guess you could skip right past the uh, Red Hat blog if you wanted uh, and jump right over to YouTube. And they have the videos posted. And these are not, it's not like five minute or two minute videos. These are these are 45 minute videos. Uh, they're, they're pretty long. And there's a hundred of them on a ton of different things. If you want to see what's coming in OpenStack, OpenShift, uh, Kubernetes even, uh, technologies like that, uh, they've got a lot of great information in there uh, for people that are starting out that know nothing, for people that are more advanced. You can find some really cool things in there and get an idea of what's going to happen in, in the future. Some of them, like, like this one here, live demonstration. Find it, fix it before it breaks, right? They're teaching you how to be able to better maintain those systems and stop downtime. And those are, are really, really valuable. Uh, the Ansible presentations, I've actually watched a handful of those now. Uh, those are really good because Ansible is a big deal with Red Hat. Uh, but some of the OpenShift stuff is pretty good as well. Uh, I have not made it through maybe like eight of these videos now. Uh, so it, it'll take It'll take months to get through it all. Uh, and that's one of the challenges with the conference is you're kind of drinking from the, the fire hose, right? You're getting all this information at once. Well, here on their YouTube channel, you can watch it all and uh, just do it at your leisure. Well, even if you went to the conference, you're having to choose between different sessions. Oh, that's so true. this gives you the opportunity to see the ones that maybe you didn't get to see, which is fantastic. And um, by the way, if you go back to the um, to the article, uh, I love the first two names. I don't I don't know why. I just really enjoy them. You got Craig uh, Muzilla if you come down a little bit. Uh, it, oh, it had the Craig yeah, Mozilla and, and Harry Mower. All right. I don't I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm going to watch those two. I assume he was involved somehow with uh, Mozilla, but uh, Probably not, so. No. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, <laughs> no. All right, next up, uh, switch gears a little bit and talk about Microsoft. And this is one of those articles that, that I saw, and it uh, it interested me. I said, wow, that's that's pretty cool, because, it, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about in the past, you know, was Microsoft's heyday um, in the past, or, or um, uh, you know, are they still going to be able to, to make a run as one of the, the biggest companies out there with, you know, Google and, and Apple uh, on the rise. But Microsoft surpasses Google's alphabet to become the third most valuable company. I was really excited. I said, Don, check this out. This is really cool. And, and Don burst my bubble as he typically does. So, Don, uh, if you could let all the viewers down as well. Sure. So, um, you know, last week, I, I don't think we reported on it because I didn't care enough. Uh, but Apple, uh, a lot of the tech news websites were talking about how Apple was approaching a one trillion dollar valuation. Uh, in other words, if you wanted to buy Apple, if I just decided, hey, I that's a good investment, I'll buy Apple, I would have to have a trillion dollars to do it. And I think at the time they were valued at $933 billion, which is a lot of money. Now, that's a that's a pretty big deal. Google was ranked number three, or not Google, sorry, Alphabet was ranked number three. Microsoft was ranked number four. And so Microsoft just stepped up and uh, and passed over Google. And if you look, uh, they're telling us, oh, and Amazon was in the mix as well. So let's see. Um, so they're telling us here, Apple is at $922 billion. Actually, they went down a little bit. Uh, and then Amazon is at $788 billion. So that's a, a pretty big chunk. But Alphabet is at $745 billion and Microsoft at $760 billion. So they're actually pretty close together, Microsoft, Alphabet, and Amazon. And what I was telling Peter before the show, 
it's not like Microsoft all of a sudden came up with some great invention or released some new product and that's what pushed them over. Usually it comes down to simple accounting, right? That they shifted around some money in one account or another and that created valuation. Uh, and so you see these things turn over quite a bit pretty frequently. I know, uh, I think it was like six months ago, there was an article that said, Jeff Bezos loses $40 yeah. billion dollars overnight. And he didn't really lose $40 billion with the company valuation, right? So when we say the, the Microsoft has a uh, market value of $760 billion, that doesn't even mean they have $760 billion. It means that if I wanted to buy that company, I would have to pay $760 billion to buy them. Uh, that would be the fair market value for that company. So it's, it's kind of weird. They're funny numbers, right? But it is neat to see where these companies play out. Uh, and for Apple to be so much higher and have less than 2% of the market. That's a really weird thing. Uh, as far as like operating system mm -hmm. and PC hardware, Apple has a very, very small percentage. Now, you switch over to the cell phone and music player industry, and Apple has a massive market share, right? So it's all about which market you look at, and these numbers can all be manipulated to reflect that. But it is neat to see, you know, all these companies are doing really, really well right now uh, in our current economy. You're really missing out with your ad blocker there. I've got this um, this great ad. Did you know you can get from Seattle to Vancouver, BC, uh, in an hour on a seaplane? I can believe that. Yeah, that's that'd be fun. How much something like that cost? Uh, it doesn't <laughs> get into that on on here in the ad, but uh, you know, I, I lived hour. in Seattle and uh, I lived right off of Lake Union for a mm -hmm. while, and we used to see seaplanes come in yeah. and land and take off because they'd come into the into the sound because uh, the the water was a lot more stable than it was if they tried to go into the Pacific. I always thought it was just tours, too. I, but I guess, yeah, yeah, commuting would be. And you see those annoying duck cars, you know, the oh, amphibious vehicles, yeah. those things. They're big yeah. up in Boston, I know, as well. They'll mm. do the, the harbor and, and all that. And I feel like we're getting off topic. Yeah, well, you know, it's but, important. Yeah, I'm gonna, in Seattle, it's fun. <laughs> I'm going to look into the pricing on this, and I'll, I'll let you know. But um, for now... Uh, we're going to switch gears to something big that's coming up um, actually uh, next week. It is um, the uh, Worldwide Developer Conference uh, for Apple, and we've got a lot of well, – it's always that time where we, we have these announcements that we're expecting, but uh, they're rumors until, until it's go time. And uh, actually, it's a good time to mention, if you're going to watch uh, WWDC, uh, I would suggest you do it on Twit. Uh, with Twit TV because IT Pro TV is sponsoring it, and uh, so Leo Laporte will actually have some commentary throughout and and be talking about what's going on and helping you understand um, why things are important or or what's new there. So definitely something to check out um, if you want to watch the uh, the live keynotes and and big announcements from that. But uh, we wanted to look at some of the rumors this week and then look back at it next week and see what's actually true and, and, and what came about. So this and, first one on 95 you know, this, Mac. Yeah. This, this is actually building off a conversation Peter and I had earlier uh, earlier this week. You know, last week on the show, I said, we're not going to hear a lot out of Apple right now because <laughs> they're trying to hold everything for WWDC. And so Peter says to me, he says, well, we're not going to let that stop us. Let's report on fake news instead. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and so, so we've got a nice little roundup here of news sites guessing at what's going to happen at WWDC next week. And uh, and we'll get to, are we going to create like a scoreboard or something? And, and just <laughs> Yeah, we have to each rank if we th we agree that it's going to happen or not. But but the first one and the first couple actually seem to be um, focused around an Apple MacBook with an ARM chip. And so, um, I mean, this one obviously is is 
is from England because the way they spelled manufacture. But um, Don, what would the benefit be of of an arm uh, uh, Mac? Wait a minute, isn't that how we spell manufacture? Manufacture. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't know words. <laughs> Look, all right. It's been I, a long week. Just okay? making sure. I... <laughs> Manufacture. So yeah. this rumor has been <laughs> kicking around for a little while. There's actually been a couple of rumors bouncing around. Um, I've been complaining, and there's really no other word. I haven't been like uh, researching whatever. I've just been complaining about how it sure would be nice if we could get MacBooks with more than 16 gigs of RAM, especially MacBook Pros with more than 16 gigs of RAM. And, and I understand the problem that DDR4 creates too big of a battery drain. Apple won't have it. Apple insists on having this 10-hour battery life on a MacBook Pro, so you're held to the 16-gig memory limit. That's just how it's going to be. Well, then they have to find some way to kind of overcome this, to make a, a laptop that makes sense. And the MacBook Pros really haven't changed much over the last five years, that they get faster processors, and they've switched to SSDs, but that's about it. Otherwise, the Mac Pro that you buy today is... Practically the same. Well, I'm USB forgetting C the ports. I'm forgetting the touch bar. Yeah, USB C. See, these aren't things you get excited about. Like, I'm not going to buy yeah. a new laptop because of USB C. And I, when I bought this laptop, I chose not to get the touch bar. So some people get excited about that stuff. But anyhow, something's got to change. And there have been a lot of rumors over the past uh, several months, and some not rumors. Right? Apple themselves said we're working to get it where iOS apps will be able to run on macOS. So now if I have a laptop with macOS, I can run an iOS app. And I said at the time that was a really weird feature for them to offer because there's no touchscreen on any MacBook, Pro, Air, whatever. None of them have a touchscreen. So how are you going to use these iOS apps without a touchscreen? You could use your magic touchpad, but that sucks. I mean, yeah. it, it, it works well for macOS. It doesn't work well for iOS apps. So uh, they got to do something. So a lot of people are theorizing that Ma Apple is going to announce new MacBooks that have an ARM processor in them. And I've got to say, look, if they do that, what operating system is it going to run? Is it going to run iOS or is it going to run macOS? They could go either way. Maybe they do both. There, there have been some uh, Windows platforms that did that or Android ones. Uh, who knows? Maybe maybe they go that route. But uh, they're on uh, 9to5Mac or Digitimes. They're claiming not only is Apple going to do it, like they've already got a manufacturer lined up. Pegatron is ready to get in here and manufacture a MacBook with an ARM chip. Uh, now, for those of you that have not been through a architecture change like this, one of the big deals is that when you switch from the Intel architecture to ARM or, or any other direction, Apple will sit down and they'll port the entire macOS operating system to run on ARM. So all the built-in applications in macOS will start running right away. All of the third-party applications and all the App Store apps will have to be recompiled to support the ARM architecture, and that takes time. It takes years. So on day one, if, if this product comes out tomorrow and, and Apple sends me uh, a free one because they never send me anything uh, <laughs> unless I pay them first, but if they send me one, they could give me that ARM laptop, and it still wouldn't have any value to me because it's not going to have any apps on day one, anything beyond uh, mail.app and Safari, right? So we'll have to wait for more applications to get developed and roll out. I think it's super unlikely that Apple would make an announcement about hardware, but on the software side, I could see it because this is the developer conference, a message to the developer saying, hey, we're going to release an ARM laptop and we're going to start moving our MacBooks that way and eventually our, our Mac Pros and Mac Minis, we're going to move them all over to ARM. So start working on your applications now. 
I could see that kind of an announcement. But to go as far as to say, here's a manufacturer that's going to start making these, that's a that's a pretty gutsy gutsy rumor to jump on. Well, and if you go to the next article from Fosbytes, they uh, get into what what you uh, what you mentioned. They've got that key word up there in the headline, touchscreen. So I know this is something we've talked a lot about um, in the past uh, and, and why it would be a benefit. But um, down in this article, they mentioned that some of the known specs, and I love that they use the term known um, for these, none of the, some of the known specs of this rumor uh, include a touchscreen, SIM support for LTE, GPS, compass, and water resistance. So you start to think, I mean, that's that's a phone you know, as opposed to a, yeah. a computer, and it and it really is, as it says, kind of a new class that is somewhere in between uh, phone, iPad, and computer. So and you exciting. know, I'll say when, when I travel, I I don't take my MacBook with me. I leave my MacBook here at the office because I have an iPad Pro, you know, the big, the twelve point nine inch one, uh, and I have a keyboard stuck on it, and that's what I travel with, and it's great because it's got a cellular card in it. So I, I have internet access wherever I go as opposed to trying to find Wi-Fi various places. If I take my MacBook, it doesn't have a cell card in it. I can't, I can't connect to my, my cell network, so I've got to find Wi-Fi networks. And when I travel, that's just getting to be too dangerous mm-hmm. to, to try and trust other networks that are out there. So, um, you know, I could see them trying to merge it together. It, it'd be neat to see. I, if they announce a product, though, I'll be really surprised. I think that... Uh, with WWDC, it's more about informing the developers, hey, get ready for this. Here's what's coming. And you know, maybe we'll see something but at the end of the year. Wasn't, weren't there expected announcements at the, at the last event and we're kind of behind? So that's why people think that there might be a product coming this time. Yeah, but those same people will say that about Mac Minis. Like, oh, there'll be a new Mac Mini. You know, Mac Minis haven't been updated in but, is it four years now. Four, maybe? Seems like, yeah. Maybe five years. It's been many years. Mac minis have not been updated. And so people keep saying, oh, yep, it'll be in the next next announcement. Yeah. And then it isn't. So who, who knows with Apple? We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Well, my prediction, and we can go ahead and mark it down now, is that uh, there will be a new uh, MacBook-looking product, but... Uh, basically, you just drop your iPhone X right in there, <laughs> and uh, and that runs the whole thing. And Don's head explodes. And uh, I'm I'm gonna guess that Don isn't even on the podcast next week because he's in. Shock. I'll be too busy. Yeah, uh, the, uh, the like the Razor Project Linda. Yeah, that that kind of thing. Which I wonder where that ended up. Project that, uh, Project Don. Yeah, <laughs> if they named it after me, yeah. that would. <laughs> yeah, that would we've be been that. watching Don, <laughs> and we know what you're up to. But uh, but yeah, the, these announcements. Well, the, the keynote uh, is on Monday, June fourth at at 10 a.m. Eastern. So um, we'll we'll know a lot more next week. Sadly, we'll, I will we'll be at Disney nothing. World. Uh, yeah, so I'm sure they'll broadcast you, it there. If you see a guy walking through Disney World staring at his phone on Monday, that'll that'll be me. That'll be me. <laughs> walking into the class in the. <laughs> In the Apple way. Um, well, let's talk about something that's actual Apple fact, uh, proving again that Don was wrong that Apple will make no news um, this week. Uh, this on MacRumors.com, ironically. Uh, Apple releases iOS 11.4 with messages in oh, iCloud wait. and AirPlay 2. Isn't that what we're doing? I've got the wrong article pulled up. So oh, it, yeah. I was wondering, because you said uh, it's going to be it's gonna be fact, and then oh, yeah. I've this. Oh, I did. Yeah, yeah we we got got I did go out of order. <laughs> that's, that's my fault. <laughs> Yeah, but this is just kind of the schedule of uh, of what's going on. Uh, yeah, these guys, you know, the Apple Insider took the easy route, and they said, we're not going to try and predict hardware. We're going to try and predict strategy, which you can't go wrong picking strategy. But all right, so uh, so you were talking about iOS 11.4, which is real. I was. Yeah. And uh, the threat is real. iOS 11.4 is out. Um, well, 
It is, oh no, no, it is. Yeah, it, it is out. It is available. You can update right now. Uh, it's a real tangible thing that you can put your hand on. Um, most of the updates in it are inconsequential unless you really uh, care about AirPlay. Uh, if you have a, um, I want to say AirPod, a HomePod. Uh, do you have a HomePod? I do not. I, neither do I. Do, you know, I don't know anybody who has a HomePod. I haven't seen one in person. Which kind of oddly sets yeah. the stage for how how unusual product it is. But uh, Apple's Siri Assistant, its Alexa competitor, right, to, to compete with Amazon Alexa, is the HomePod. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, uh, they launched it a few months back. It's unusually expensive. I think they're $300 a piece. And... They have continued to add new functionality to be able to better support those. In iOS 11.4, we get support for AirPlay 2. And AirPlay 2 gives the ability to do stereo broadcast, where you can have two HomePods. So if, if money is no object, you can have two HomePods, and you can have basically a left and a right to do stereo audio out of them, which is kind of neat. Uh, and they have a handful of other things. Here, here's, here's a picture of a HomePod. It uh, looks like a speaker. It's great. So, uh, so anyhow, that stuff's rolling out. Uh, it is available now. Uh, one of the other features, though, which is more important, in my opinion, uh, and something that I definitely think everybody needs to be aware of, is that while the primary feature of iOS 11.4 is AirPlay 2, nestled away in the announcement is an upgrade to iMessage or Messages. Uh, there's a new feature that's rolled out that's enabled by default called Messages in iCloud. So in the past, if I ran... Uh, the Messages app on my phone, which you have to do. And if I ran Messages on my Mac OS machine, I could get a text message and it could show up in both places. And I could respond and it would, again, respond in, in both places. But it wasn't actually synchronizing between the two devices. The devices were receiving the messages separately and responding separately. So they're actually kind of acting independently. Starting with iOS 11.4, that's now being relayed through iCloud. And... There's two big things here that, uh, that we need to know. Um, one is it's kind of a good thing in that all of your messages are, are basically being backed up now. So when you get a new phone, all of your messaging history can download right from iCloud back to your new phone. And so you've got all that, that history. Uh, in the past, if you get a new phone, unless you restored an iTunes backup, you lost all of your, your messages. And, and you, know, you just get new ones. They fill right back up. It's not that big of a deal. Some people really love to have that history uh, there so that they get that. The other side, though, is that it means that all of your messages are effectively being stored at servers at Apple headquarters uh, or at, you know, wherever their cloud data centers are. And that might not be okay for you. you. You might not like that. You might not want to have your messages synchronized up to the cloud. And if that's the case, you'll want to turn that off in your Apple ID settings on your phone, uh, and that won't sync up. Now, Apple has been one of the few companies to actively resist the U.S. government that if they, they get a subpoena or whatever to turn over data, Apple says no. Uh, a lot of it gets encrypted with a key that only you have, that Apple doesn't even have, so they can't decrypt it. So they've, they've been pretty good about defending that. But if you are a super privacy nut, well, you're probably not running an iPhone anyway, but if you are, you'll want to turn that feature off. So just something new that's kind of rolling out in iOS 11.4. Exciting! I uh, I didn't realize that, and I actually use the, you know, the messaging on my MacBook too. So I'm excited to uh, to know that that's working now for me, um, and that that Apple has all my my information. I assume they did and your, already. Your best interest is yeah, always in always at heart. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, now let's shift gears a little bit to some technology uh, or some uh, security related tech news. Um, this first one comes from Bleeping Computer. I still love that domain name. Um, NPM fails worldwide with 
error, 418, I'm a teapot error. <laughs> I assume that's uh, how it sounds if it were to be said out loud by that, Siri. That was or, perfect. Or anything like that. Ermagerd, teapot. All uh, right, so. Yeah, what is going on? NPM. Um, we actually reported on an NPM failure. Uh, you probably don't remember, Peter, because it was like a good solid six months ago. Mm-hmm. But about every six months, NPM seems to totally bork itself. And we've had another case of that here this week. Uh, if you're not familiar with NPM, it's the package manager that's part of Node.js. So Node.js is a very common JavaScript platform for writing applications and serving them up. Uh, you know, If you've written web applications, you've worked with Node.js, incredibly popular. And it uses a package manager to load libraries and extensions and all sorts of things that are kind of pre-built that make your life a heck of a lot easier. And it seems like every six months or so, they screw something up that completely blows up NPM. And uh, and that happened again this time. What kind of added insult to injury on this one, it's, it's bad enough to not be able to pull down a new package with NPM because something's wrong. But then when it gives you an error that literally says, error 14, I'm a teapot. That's just infuriating, right? Uh, and and this happens. There's a lot of, of open source software out there where people have a little bit of fun and they throw things in there. There's closed source uh, commercial software that does this too. Uh, but with NPM's track record, it's just kind of uh, a little more frustrating. But what's going on here, unfortunately, is the same kind of failure they've had before, which is they've not done the greatest job managing dependencies. And a lot of times they'll remove a stale package from the repository and there might be another 200 packages that all depended on that first one. And so now all those 200 other packages fail because they depended on an initial package that's gone. And they're not kind of paying attention to that. And some of the packages that get removed seem inconsequential, but then start affecting tens of thousands of customers. So that happened. Uh, they have since resolved the issue and fixed it and brought it back online. Historically, these type of outages have lasted less than 24 hours. This one was the same way. But it does happen. So it is just a kind of a reminder. If you rely on Node.js, it may be a good idea, if you're using it in production, then it might be a good idea to set up your own package repository that you depend upon instead of relying on the public ones that are managed by the Node.js project. And it's good to note, um, for those wondering where that even comes from, uh, it goes back to an internet meme from 1998, uh, an April Fool's prank uh, in 98, when a group of developers jokingly proposed the Hypertext Coffee Pot Control Protocol, which would be HTCPCP, uh, that uh, creates and manages internet standards um, to, or to the uh, internet engineering task force uh, and the prank included many funner error, funny error codes including error 14 i'm a teapot which many have used since since then uh to uh use for errors that they have no idea where they're coming from so there you go i guess you know in that respect it, it's no worse than saying uh uh you know unspecified error yeah or you know uh but most people probably don't have that 1998 meme uh, history in their yeah, in their true. head, so that could be very confusing um, to someone. Maybe I, maybe people assume it's an Internet of Things. You know, did I? Is this accidentally my my connected coffee pot? Damn or, it! Did I install that teapot software teapot? again? Yeah. I meant to install my George Foreman software. Yeah. Eh. Foreman ah, well, That's error four nineteen. Ah. I'm a George Foreman. I'm a George Foreman. <laughs> sucking fat out of meat. Fantastic. (laughs) All right, let's shift gears now. Well, stick with uh, security, um, but uh, to a different kind of security now. Uh, This one from Hacker News. 
uh, possible BGP hijack of 1.1.1.1. And this this news article here is giving uh, our first news article a run for the money as far as graphic design goes. I don't think there's an image on this All page. right. Yeah, the, the Hacker News website is not designed to look pretty or, or even be easy to use. Well, they nailed uh, it. But they have some really good information that flows through, and this was a pretty interesting one. Um, earlier this week, uh, it was detected there was a potential hijack of the 1.1.1.1 uh, address specifically, but it was actually the 1.1.1.0 slash 24 network. So uh, about 254 IPs were, were grabbed and rerouted. And nobody was sure why at first. They actually figured it out pretty quickly. Um, what happened is uh, kind of like a comedy of errors. There was an ISP, which is called uh, Anknet, A-N-C-H-N-E-T, Anknet. And some of the network engineers on Onknet were testing out some BGP systems, and they decided to do a test, and they did a test with 1.1.1.0 slash 24 because they thought it wasn't being used, right? Well, that's a real address. There's a, a standard, there's RFC 1918, that defines the private IP ranges that you're allowed to use for testing. It's got things like 10.0.0.0 slash 8, 172.16.0.0 all the way through 172.31.0.0 and 192.168.0.0. Those are all available for testing and you're welcome to use it. 1.0.0.0 is not in RFC 1918. It's not available for testing. And these network engineers at an ISP, you know, where they get paid to know stuff <laughs> about networking, uh, they didn't know that. And so they decided to do a test and they used that. They started advertising that BGP network and BGP is a trusting protocol, it started routing traffic over to their ISP, uh, which looked like an attack. It looked like a hijack, but it was an accident. Now, just a few months back, Cloudflare launched a new public DNS service, and it was a very public thing. They did a huge media junket on it, and they were promoting their new public DNS server that anybody could use at 1.1.1.1, right? Google has 8.8.8.8. We, .8 .8 .8 .8. we? we did, yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. And uh, so they said, hey, if you want a, a fast public DNS server with great security, 1.1.1.1, you can use it, right? So this ISP basically hijacked. And, and once it was figured out, it got rerouted back and everything went back to normal. But for a period of time, there were tens of thousands of people who could not reach out to Cloudflare's DNS service to no fault of, of Cloudflare's. So it highlights how big of a problem BGP is, but... You could argue that BGP wasn't the problem here. Those network engineers were the problem. Uh, but there are no penalties. There's no fines. There's no law that was broken. It's just this honor network, this, you know, I trust you, you trust me type thing that goes on uh, at the highest level of the Internet. And it shows how fragile that infrastructure really is. Kind of, uh, kind of shocking sometimes. Which really makes me, uh, you know, even more hopeful that Pied Piper's open source uh, internet uh, does take <laughs> off for those Silicon Valley fans out there. I yeah. think it's the future, and that's that's why I've invested in uh, Piper Coin. Piper Coin, Piper, yeah, Piper Coin, yeah. I think it's, it's <laughs> going up. Uh, all right, uh, let's go to the next one over here on ThreatPost.com. Um, a separate attack extracts the memory of AMD encrypted VMs. So, uh, what's going on with my virtual machines, Don? All right, uh, you would have to be living under a rock to have not heard about the Spectre. And, and other uh, processor-level exploits that have been going on the last several months. They all broke back in back in December. When, when did all that break? It was a long time ago. Yeah. So it's been going on for a long time. It was New Year. And there have been tons of patches and updates that have been rolling out. And various vendors 
have been releasing technologies to help protect and, and isolate and, and make sure that those vulnerabilities don't affect, you know, that Spectre and Meltdown can't be leveraged, especially on virtual machines. Well, in the AMD infrastructure, they had a technology called Secure Encrypted Virtualization, or SEV. And what it allowed you to do is run virtual machines, and it would leverage hardware found in AMD CPUs to isolate the virtual machine from other VMs. And so if somebody tried to do Spectre or Meltdown, they would only see information from that one VM. They wouldn't be able to see information from other VMs. That made it safe. And when Spectre and Meltdown initially broke, a lot of cloud service providers started looking and saying, hey, maybe we should move away from Intel and move over to AMD, right? This was AMD's one chance to jump in and start getting in the data center because traditionally Intel has just dominated the data center market. Well, unfortunately, it turns out that SEV isn't perfect and hackers have found a way to exploit SEV in a way that allows them to use Spectre and Meltdown just like on any other hardware that's out there. So if you're trying to dodge this vulnerability, uh, or really exploit at this point, um, unfortunately, AMD's SEV is not the ultimate solution for you. Now, AMD has been notified. They've worked on a fix. They're working on rolling that out. Uh, but for right now, uh, just know that it is it is vulnerable. Uh, SEV is the core technology, and so the attack is called Severed, just a, a play off of that, uh, to say that, look, we can be in one VM, we can exploit the CPU and actually access memory from uh, another VM. Even though it's supposed to be securely encrypted, it can still be accessed. It's good to know it's an equal opportunity vulnerability affecting yeah. everyone. No so. CPU left unturned. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, that's great. Uh, all right, let's move now to Tom's Hardware. Uh, .co.uk, uh, where we have this article about Chrome 67 bringing support for PWAs and passwordless login. So progressive web apps and, well, how am I logging in without a password? My, my face? Magic. Oh, so uh, <laughs> So Chrome 67 is rolling out right now as you speak. In fact, I haven't checked to see if I've updated to it or not yet, but, uh, uh, but it is rolling out. And the two big features of Chrome 67 are PWAs and passwordless logins. Uh, PWAs, if you haven't heard of them, are progressive web apps. And what they are are applications that are actually websites, but on your computer, they actually look like a native application. So instead of having to install Microsoft Word or some video game, you would actually be launching a web page that has that video game or whatever embedded inside of it. But people have tried this before, and it, it you still know it's a web page, right? With progressive web apps, it's actually able to do it in a way that looks like a native application. And for a while, we had Chrome native applications Google killed that off a couple, has it been two years now? I think it's been about two years ago. They killed that off. Uh, some people still support it through older builds, but uh, PWAs were designed to be the replacement for that. They've been in beta, they've been working on it for a while, and now they've actually incorporated it into mainstream Chrome. So Chrome 67 is the first version that is not a beta that actually has full support for PWAs. And now we're going to start seeing applications going that route again. It'll be a nice differentiation from all the Electron uh, apps that people are using now that... Uh, yeah, we're pretty resource hungry here. It'll just be tied to your browser, so it'll take the same resources as normal. Passwordless login, though, tying off of what Peter said, uh, Chrome has had support for dual-factor or multi-factor authentication for quite some time. I know I use a, a YubiKey, which I have here stuck on my little uh, ID badge. So when I go to log into my Gmail account, for example, I punch in my username, I punch in my password, and then it says, hey, I need a second form of authentication. I plug in this YubiKey, I tap the little button here, and that's my second form, and it lets me log in, right? Now, that's not passwordless. I still had to type my password. I had to provide a second form of authentication 
the YubiKey didn't replace my first form. Well, in Chrome 67, they've now got support for passwordless. And passwordless can take a number of different forms. It can be a face scan, like Apple's Face ID. It can be a fingerprint. Uh, many, many laptops have fingerprint scanners. It could be a YubiKey like mine or my YubiKey Neo that uses NFC. It could be any number of those devices. And when you go to log in, that's all you present. You don't type a password anymore. And that's the, the next step in authentication where we're getting away from having to have a password at all. If you have a password, you've got to come up with a complex password. You've got to remember to change it every so often. You've got to kind of work at it, right? But with something like a YubiKey, you don't work at it. You just, you have it. You plug it in or you tap it to the device and that's it. With a facial scan, it just, you look at the camera. That's super easy. And for the common person, the average Joe on the street, that's really where we need to be for security uh, to properly make sure that, that everything is, is as secure as possible. So Chrome 67 has support for that. That doesn't mean there's a lot of applications out there that support it yet. We're going to start seeing that coming in the next few months. But the fact that that support is now built into the mainline browser is a pretty big deal. So if you've upgraded to Chrome 67, you've got that support already. If you haven't, the update usually rolls out automatically. You'll see your little... Uh, uh, three dot button or hamburger button or whatever up at the top uh, will turn green, letting you know there's an update and you hit that or it'll just update the next time you close and open Chrome. Sounds good. All right, looking forward to it. I'm still on 67 or 66. So hmm. I will, now uh, I got to look and see on mine. Yeah, I, can't, I, I can't recall. I don't think I've updated mine yet. And actually, I don't even remember where to go to find that. <laughs> uh, I went up into the upper left where it says Chrome uh, up next to the Apple on top. Why would you do that? Oh, I'm on Chrome 66 as well. Oh, there you go. Oh, although mine now says updating, so it was that easy. So. Oh, there you go. That, <laughs> that'll hopefully not uh, disrupt the show in any way. No, oh, yeah, everything's even, oh, good. Good point. Is it going to close on my brain? Ah, Fantastic. It'll be well, fine. <laughs> I've got a computer here as well, so we're going to continue on. Uh, all right, let's move over to, to CNET. And I don't know if this is a security story or not, but this is... this. Uh, this is Hardware. the fun one. Hardware. Yeah, we're, uh, you know, Apple isn't releasing anything um, this week, so, but don't worry. Uh, we've got uh, a, a great machine from Asus. Uh, their motherboard, their crypto mining motherboard supports 20 GPUs, and as the headline points out, because 19 wasn't enough. Uh, and you feed the uh, Asus H370 with three power supplies. Yeah, so, so wow. if, if you've been following the crypto mining hardware industry, last year Asus rolled out a... Uh, a motherboard that supported 19 GPUs. And let me tell you, what a piece of crap, right? Yeah. I mean, just 19 GPUs. What am I supposed to do with that? I, I, why even bother, right? Yeah. This year, 20. And let me tell you, it's amazing. 20 GPUs of Bitcoining uh, or, or cryptocurrency calculating madness. Um, obviously, this is a very specific board. You know, it's a board made for a specific industry. Uh, if you're a crypto miner, at this point, I think everybody's realized that GPUs are not they're not as effective as they used to be, but they are better at doing crypto mining than a lot of general purpose CPUs. So people are leveraging it that way. This board is really slick. Uh, like the design is really impressive. Um, it's only got a single CPU because the CPU is really not doing a lot of the work. The GPUs are doing it. And what it has are 20 custom built USB ports, right? So these are USB ports that allow you to do um, basically 40 gig communications, which is is 
far above what you actually need to communicate with a, a GPU. This is the same technology that Apple's using for their external or eGPUs. You can get the, you know, if you have a MacBook, it's not going to have a great graphics card in it, but you can get an external GPU and plug it in via Thunderbolt, gives you that 40 gigabit channel, and now you can do all of your 3D processing on this external card, and it it runs phenomenally. I've, I've done it on mine, and uh, the performance, I mean, it's, it's almost like uh, double the performance what your normal video card would be. It's really, really impressive. So here they're just doing that same thing 20 times. There's uh, two banks of seven and one bank of six. So there's three different channels. It's got three power supplies that spread across those three different channels to power all these graphics cards. And you now have a Bitcoin mining rig or, or just any kind of, of blockchain. Uh, and we always focus on blockchain, but I mean, it could be any high compute process. You might be sequencing the human genome. And so here you could have 19 uh, or 20, sorry, uh, 19, God forbid. Yeah. Uh, you could have 20 discrete uh, GPUs in there doing work for you. Uh, if we were to break this down to like CUDA cores, you'd have thousands of CUDA cores per GPU. So you could you could easily get to 100,000 CUDA cores uh, without any, any without even breaking a sweat here and really get some, some teraflops going on this thing. Uh, and I know that's exactly what you look for in a computer, Peter. So this is uh, this yeah. is probably on your Christmas list. Teraflops right? and whatnot. Um, so how many of these are are you planning to to put in your garage? Planning already got. Oh, them. you've already got a couple. Yeah. Of you, these? Well, now I can buy the 19s. Oh, it's super I thought, cheap. I thought this no. was pre-order. <laughs> uh, I can go ahead and, and do this now. Uh, I didn't. You know, I, I didn't. Uh, look, no, no price it, or release date uh, uh, beyond later this year it, has been announced. It was but. so ridiculous to me. I didn't even bother to look at what the price was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that doesn't matter. But but it's cool. It does show that like there is a market for this. For them for them to make this hardware, there has to be a market. Well, essentially, uh, it's free because I would think that if you buy it on credit, the the <laughs> Bitcoin you're going to mine between when that that bill comes due. You know. So I, I think I've said this before, and uh, just in, in all honesty for the viewers that are out there, if you're thinking about dabbling in Bitcoin mining, um, you're too late, right? Uh, Bitcoin, that ship has sailed, that if you are doing Bitcoin mining today, the electric bill that you're going to have to pay will exceed the amount of cryptocurrency that you generate. So you, you're just not able to break even. Bitcoin mining is, is effectively a thing of the past. What's left is mining for all of these other currencies. Uh, Ethereum, I, I don't think ship has sailed yet on Ethereum, but it's getting close. You've got the uh, TCX coin or whatever. There's a couple of other ones that are out there. Uh, Dogecoin, I think, is still possible if you want to go that way. Uh, maybe Coinye, uh, some of the other more fringe currencies. But if you want to do blockchain and cryptocurrency mining for a different currency, that's still a, a realistic possibility. And it's such a... It's such a fraudulent market right now that if you're jumping on to the early stage of some new cryptocurrency, the odds of it being a fraud are just as great as the odds of it being legit. So uh, it's a tough business. I, I would not recommend anybody investing in in a crypto mining rig. But if you can do it and you pick a currency that is legit, that is going to grow, you could make millions of dollars off of a board like this. Uh, like Peter said, it, it does pay for itself. But Boy, is there some risk. Uh, you know, technically, you could say the craps table in Vegas pays for itself. It does. If you stick with it. it well, it does for the <laughs> casino. Yeah. They, they have never had to pay for a craps table. It, well, the, the trick is you just double down every time, right? And eventually you win and you get all your money back, right? Oh, uh, that makes sense. 
That Simple makes, system. Makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and are, did you watch Silicon Valley this season? No. Uh, it, it did they do that? Me, well, no. <laughs> going back to the 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 mining, uh, Guilfoyle has a uh, an alert on his computer that goes off every time uh, Bitcoin gets high enough in value where it makes sense for him to turn his rig back on. Ah, uh, where so, it exceeds yeah, the power. But it's right. constantly going off in this one episode, and he's like, "I'm sorry, it's a very volatile uh, market." So. <laughs> um, uh, speaking of, of cryptocurrency, this next uh, article, really we wanted to talk about it uh, not so much for what it's about, but more the headline. And, this and was the, almost our WTF point, article yeah. for the week. It says, uh, two Canadian banks hacked. Uh, cryptocurrency is the better store of value. So they're not just giving you news. They're telling you uh, what to do now because, hey, banks are being hacked. And, uh, you know, I had originally moved all of my money to gold. Yeah, um, because, buried it in the backyard. Yeah, buried in the backyard, sure. Uh, I've got the metal detector um, so I can find it uh, if need be. But apparently cryptocurrency is is the way to go because, I mean, remember, I mean, Bitcoin, it's never had a, uh, a bubble. Uh, oh, never. We haven't seen no, a very reliable. the bottom fall out there. But uh, this is on newsbtc.com, which uh, Which is, we need to oh, take into account, right? Bitcoin news, price information, and analysis. So they're really putting all their eggs in little not bit cryptocurrency, biased. but right into Bitcoin. When when I saw the headline, I, I thought this was big news at first because it said two Canadian banks hacked. Okay, so so there's, there's a breach. What did they get? And then the second part of the headline is cryptocurrency is the better store of value. Now that to me says, oh man, this bank got hacked. And somebody stole real currency, yeah. right? They stole real money. And boy, if I had that in Bitcoin, it would have been so much safer. But then you go and you read the article. So two different banks got breached, and it was a, supposedly a spear phishing attack. We'll see what it actually was later on. But uh, they managed to get personally identifiable information for the customers of the bank. So we're talking about first name, last name, mailing address. Uh, I believe they said uh, social security number, but... It's the Canadian equivalent, yeah, SIN. SIN so SINs. Uh, so they, they got all this information on the people. Absolutely nothing about currency. Like they, they weren't able to access checking accounts. They weren't able to, to steal money out that way. So the money was safe. It was the personal information that was compromised. Now, the neat thing about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general is that you can do completely anonymous transactions, right? They're not invisible transactions. They're traceable, but they're anonymous. And I think that's really what the point of this article was saying, was that if you want to store your currency and know that your personal information is safe, yeah, cryptocurrency will do it, right? But when you hear about a cryptocurrency breach, it means money was stolen. Here, it's a financial industry breach, and it's just personally identifiable information. So the news source in this case needs to be taken into account. This is a Bitcoin news site. So, of course, they're going to tell us that you know everything we have should be in, in uh, cryptocurrency. But, um, you know... We always need to to weigh that with a grain of salt and be careful with where we where we invest our funds. And that's why we always look at where we're getting our news from uh, before we just take it as gospel. <laughs> um, so now let's go to the uh, super reputable hackread.com, um, uh, which I, I don't know if it's run by hackers or about hackers, but uh, we wanted to bring you that feel-good story after talking about all of the, uh, the hacks and, and breaches and uh, vulnerabilities and exploits uh, from this week, you know, it, in time, they're going to get these guys. And uh, the Yahoo hacker involved in 500 million accounts uh, breach was jailed for five years. Uh, now, granted, uh, the uh, people in the Russian uh, FSB that he did this for uh, are still on the loose, <laughs> but, uh, but at least someone is going to jail, the, the fall guy here for, yeah. for the hack. 
So. He, he did get a sweet tattoo out of it. Yeah. Is that him or is that just a stock photo? Oh, I assume that's, that's <laughs> him. That could be one of the 500 million uh, people that he stole their uh, mm. information from. So the uh, the Yahoo breach is regarded as one of the biggest breaches in history, uh, and it happened over five years ago. It was a while ago. Uh, that was in front of Congress uh, last year because Yahoo failed to report it, right? There was this big breach. They didn't disclose it. They didn't tell people that the breach occurred until many years later. That's part of what led to GDPR being passed and a lot of the privacy regulations that we're seeing today. Thanks, so, Yahoo. It, oh, yeah, and, and now Yahoo is, you know, valued it. <laughs> I don't know, 20 bucks, something yeah, like they're, that. They're so. right behind Microsoft, I believe, on that scale we had earlier. Yeah. Somewhere they're, behind. They're one of the few companies that you could actually buy with a PayPal account. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, it's it's been a, a high visibility breach. And so to actually see somebody go to jail from that breach is, is pretty surprising, in my opinion, because very, very rarely do we actually see people get penalized. Uh, in this case, the the hacker, I believe, it was in Canada. Yeah, it's in Canada. Yeah. So, uh, so he got uh, arrested, thrown in jail. Uh, you know, the Silk Road guy was from Canada too, wasn't he? Yeah. You maybe, know, maybe the laws are. are uh, I think we've been tricked because Canadian people are normally so nice and polite, and it turns out they're all hackers. Well, he apologized. I had no idea. Well, yeah, all right, he apologized. If you if you scroll down <laughs> to Don, if you go back to the article, he's got a pretty sweet picture with a, I don't know, a, a blue Ferrari or Lamborghini or something there. So. If hmm. they say crime doesn't pay, I, I beg to differ. Wait a minute. Is that the same guy from the it picture says up here? Karim Baratov, a.k.a. Playboy, huh. a.k.a. International Hacker for Hire. All right. Well, Yeah, he's go. beefed up in prison. Uh, uh, maybe that's I assume it. that could be a prison tattoo yeah. in the top photo. Hmm. But yeah, for those of you well, just listening, you should... You get online and check out these sweet photos. So he breached Yahoo. They, they did not pay the ransom, right? So he must have made money selling that. I wonder how much. Well, he, he was, was a hacker for hire. He was. Uh, he was. Oh, so he did other jobs. We just don't know. Hired um, by. Let's see. Uh, he claimed that upon stealing half a billion user accounts, he sent their passwords to Dmitry Alexandrovich Dokachev. An alleged wow. FSB Very officer. convincing job. Thank you. Uh, who's already on the FBI's uh, <laughs> wanted list in connection with compromising at least 500 million Yahoo accounts. So All right. I'm assuming this same, uh, very same crime. So I don't know if he was just paid by them to do that yeah. as opposed to uh, I, whatever it was, he was able to lease a pretty sweet uh, uh, sports car there. Well, you know, we already know the U.S. government was willing to pay over a million dollars for an iPhone hack. Mm. So... This data sells for a, a lot to the right people. I imagine he got quite a few rubles out of it. Yeah, I don't know what was in Yahoo that was that valuable. To, but nothing, uh, nothing fantasy sports? Account. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he was able to move everyone up the uh, trade waiver and uh, that's it. And get uh, you know all the great players that everyone wanted back in <laughs> 2014. All right, uh, let's uh, shift gears to our second-to-last story here for the day on the Technado, this one over at MarketWatch.com. People are using Venmo to spy on cheating spouses, and it's proving more effective than Facebook. Uh, You know, with with the whole delete Facebook movement, people who uh, don't trust their spouses and and loved ones are having to find new ways uh, to track down where they are at all times. And and now we're finding out, I don't know why in a relationship you'd be paying that person, because uh, that doesn't <laughs> sound like a relationship to me, uh, but we're able to see, because uh, we, we talked about this earlier, but Don, do you use Venmo? Absolutely not. Yeah, I have not used Venmo either. I'm familiar with I'm also with it. over 25 exactly. years old. <laughs> but uh, but Venmo, 
when you log into it, unlike PayPal or something like that, which we found out in this article, PayPal actually owns Venmo here. But uh, Venmo tells you basically a feed of all of your friends and, and family and people you're connected with and, and who they've sent money to recently. I don't think it gets into uh, specific amounts uh, with it, but basically you have a news feed uh, where it says, hey, Don sent money to Domino's Pizza and... Uh, and Tim sent money to Don, and and uh, we can see all that stuff, so we can see what our friends are are buying. Now, Venmo is just one of many different payment apps that are out there, right? And there's Apple Pay and Android Pay and all those other, or Google Pay, whatever it's called this week. Uh, you've got PayPal and, and so on. What makes this one different is that Venmo, by default, makes your transactions public. And that seems really weird. Like, why would a financial application of any sort default to being public? But that's it. Like, if you've used Venmo, your transaction history is public information unless you go in and opt out of that. So what they're saying here is that basically a untrusting spouse could look at the Venmo history and maybe they see some restaurant charges or hotel charges or things like that. And they, they can then ask that question, like, why do you have this hotel room on charge and, and start the I'd like to read a conversation? a paragraph to you here, if I may. Uh, exact amounts aren't listed, but you can see who's paying who and which words or emoji they use to describe the payment. That's bad news for people who use Venmo to pay their drug dealer, and there's a that's a link to another news story, and then actually write drugs in the payment's <laughs> description field, but great for amateur detectives. One Chicago woman told Market Watch she used to do minor celebrity stalking of Saturday Night Live cast members and former Disney Channel child actors on the app. So, um, you know, this is, this is a great way to... Uh, to, to have some fun so, on a Saturday night. So you night. don't even have to be friends with somebody. I you, guess not. You can see anybody's transaction history. Maybe you have to send them a dollar or something, and then you're connected on Venmo. And yeah, then you can I mean, say, hey, she's I... Amateur know. sleuthing SNL cast members. I can't imagine she sent... Like, I it, love it the term be. minor celebrity stalking, though. That's a that's a great term. It's... It's uh, what's the is it the stalking this minor or the celebrity this minor? Yeah. I, I guess it's the celebrity. SNL. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Disney Channel. It's like uh, moderate to severe. I love that when they say that on all the uh, prescription commercials. Yeah, if it's you like, have no moderate to severe that. plaque psoriasis, yeah. <laughs> it's like, what do you got? Is that moderate to severe or is that <laughs> severe to extremely severe? Um, but yeah, so uh, if you haven't done so yet, uh, get on Venmo there and and enjoy um, seeing what what everyone is up to and. And, and your loved ones, if you and don't trust them. I think the, the moral of the story is not, we're not saying don't use Venmo. What, what we're saying is you should pay attention to your applications, all of your applications, and figure out whether or not they're set to public by default. This is a, a terrible, I, I, Venmo should not be like that. But apparently they, they advertise it as one of their features. Yeah. Right? Like you see what people are doing. What kids but, want these days. Yeah. Just not, not a great idea. Well, I don't know how that wasn't our, our wacky story of the week, um, because it, it definitely could have been. But uh, our wacky story story of the week, uh, we have over on, uh, I'm going to butcher this domain name, but it's uh, Oli Frost. Uh, it's a person. Ollie, Ollie is his name. Ollie Fro. Frost. St, which is St. Thomas? I don't know. I have no idea. It's one, yeah. of, the, one of the countries. It's Stegosaurus. Stegosaurus. Stegosaurus domain. Uh, yeah. But basically, uh, we've talked about Delete Facebook before. Um, and, and that movement and how you can actually download all of your data from Facebook. So this guy said, hey, I've been, uh, uh, I've been letting other people profit from all of my data, so I'm going to go ahead and profit myself. So he put all his personal uh, data from Facebook, downloaded it, 
put it up on eBay um, to sell. It has since uh, been removed from eBay um, by their terms of service for whatever reason. But interestingly enough, he was actually uh, going to donate the proceeds. I don't know if it says on here to whom. Um, but it seems like... Donated oh, to himself. Uh, uh, oh, to the EFF. Yeah. It seems like an odd choice, in my opinion, because by its very nature, this information is all public. So why couldn't I just go be friends with this guy and get all oh. the same information? <laughs> uh well, if you, if you read the laundry list of what he was including, right? Because basically what he did is he went to Facebook and he did the data dump. And he did the data dump from, I believe, Apple and a couple of other ones. So he was doing the full data dump where it had everything, like every photo that he had posted, every chat message and so on, and packaged it all together and said, hey, I'm going to sell it. And he threw it on eBay, started at like one pound. Uh, when I looked at this, it was at 30 pounds already and you could still bid on it. Uh, it finally did get taken down. It looks like it reached about, well, it says 300 pounds here. I'm pretty sure it, it broke 400 pounds before it was taken down, though. Uh, so it, it was starting to creep up there. But eBay doesn't allow you to sell digital goods. You have to sell physical goods, and so they have weird rules about that. They took it down. But it was more of like a social experiment saying, why shouldn't I be able to profit off my own data? Uh, it's a phenomenally bad idea, though, because uh, you actually put in here somewhere, like, if you buy this, you're not allowed to steal my identity. Oh, it's right here. Uh, what's not included? Permission to steal my identity and open a sweatshop. Um, that's hey, just, you that's just a sweat. challenge. I'm like, yeah. hey, I'm going to buy this, and I'm going to open a sweatshop. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to. But, but now. Now I am. Now I feel challenged. Well, for those of you who were wondering, um, .st uh, is the top-level domain for Sao Tome and Principe, uh, the Democratic Republic of that thing I just said, an island nation in the Gulf of Guinea off of the western equatorial coast of Central Africa. All right. So Learn something new just, every day. Just like I guessed. So uh, what is St. Thomas? What it is. Well, St. Thomas is a is British Virgin Island, right? So it's probably .uk. I thought they were like some kind of French protectorate. Uh, what do I know? <laughs> oh, you know what? I'm, like, I'm thinking of uh, St. Martin. Oh, well, that's half French, half Dutch. Nah. It's See, now it's all complex. On the, the French side. So they get multiple TLDs? Yeah. I believe so. <laughs> yeah, well. All right. Well, anyway. top-level domains are a lot of fun. Have you seen the uh, all the new ones that have rolled out? They, they keep rolling out new ones. Uh, there's hundreds now. Uh, not in the last, like, if there was something recent in the last month I, or so. Oh, not, not in the last oh, month. Oh, okay. But yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm excited about those. I need to go out and, and, and buy some for sure. <laughs> Hey, everybody. Uh, that's going to do it for the Technado today. If you enjoyed this, uh, please go ahead and, and review us and, uh, and let everyone know on, on iTunes how much you enjoy it. Uh, if, you, if you don't enjoy it, uh, then, then don't tell anyone. But oh, you know what? I, I, I forgot and, and wanted to mention something uh, before we do close. And last week um, for the semi-centennial uh, anniversary show, uh, we did a little tour of Don's office. And as, a, as a, I assume, a semi-centennial gift, um, Don gifted me shelf space, um, so I have my own shelf now um, on on the wall on the set, and uh, and I use that to pay uh, tribute to my favorite movie of all time, uh, my favorite uh, franchise, uh, which would be Back to the Future. And so, um, yeah, we've got some great things here. I, I had the the Pepsi the Pepsi Perfect uh, up there already. Um, but I went ahead and added the Great Sports Almanac, um, which doesn't help me anymore because it only went up to 2,000. Um, but it does have one one or two pages in there of actual um, uh, sports scores. Uh, in front of that, you got the figure figurines of, of uh, from right to left, uh, Biff and Doc and, and Marty, and, of course, uh, Marty's, Marty's father there, George, as well. Um, got the, what are those called, pop 
uh, pop whatever. Uh, Funko Pops. Yeah, those things. I got those. And uh, and the Lego DeLorean, um, which I, I was telling Don earlier, it uh, it actually comes with the uh, functionality to change it to the uh, DeLorean from Part 1. Um, part 2, which is what the current setup there is, as you can see, it's levitating um, on those clear Legos um, <laughs> with Mr. Fusion equipped. Oh, you killed the magic. Yeah. People wouldn't have it's, even noticed. And uh, But it's got the, the functionality to go to, to Part 3 as well with the red red wheels and the little uh, uh, the circuit board that the doc has to make for the front of I'm, the DeLorean. I'm surprised you didn't buy three kits so that you could just build all three out. My birthday is next week. Christmas is around the corner. Yeah, <laughs> or, or that. I know, you're leaving town for my birthday. Speaking of which, yeah, you are leaving town. We're going to have a couple of guest hosts in here the next couple of weeks. So yep, I'm going to be out for two weeks, so hopefully we have some uh, decent talent to come in and replace me. Uh, it should be pretty easy to find someone who can not, do we'll as mediocre a job as I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's can be the perfect amount of mediocre just It'd like be, me? Yeah, <laughs> you don't have much to live up to, so that's fantastic. <laughs> All right, well, uh, I already told you where to go and, and what to do, but uh, also uh, want to say thank you to our sponsor and, and host here, IT Pro TV. If you uh, want to check out some fantastic binge-worthy uh, learning on all things IT, uh, use the uh, coupon code... Um, podcast 30 and it'll take 30% off your subscription for the life of your subscription so that's definitely something uh, you should take advantage of if you have not done so already free accounts there so you can check it out and uh, and try it without committing to anything but uh, Don any closing thoughts there? Hey, it's uh, I, I'm going to be out for two weeks, but it is going to be a fun two weeks. So looking forward to WWDC. Watch that. You'll hear all sorts of great stuff. Uh, but also, if you see a news article that we didn't talk about that you want to hear more, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, you, Peter mentioned our social media channels like Facebook and Twitter. Uh, you can shoot us stories as well. We'd love to to talk and make fun of whatever that technology happens to be because uh, that's that's pretty much what we do. Especially those wacky stories. Uh, we, we enjoy those. Those are the so, best. Yeah. Um, definitely send us those. And, and on that note, uh, please bid on my personal information uh, on Facebook. That'll be over on eBay. Thanks for watching. Bye.